people can't change if they don't feel deeply seen, deeply heard, and that you're that you know I as the coach or you as the therapist are going to be a safe, non-judgmental presence. Like to me, that's the place where the the mask can start to be let down and can start to um, open up to new possibilities and open up to uh, different ways of moving and being in the world. They're going to work better for the stage of life that we're in. Welcome to Backseat Driver, the podcast hosted by two practicing psychotherapists, where we boil down years of experience with clients young and old to teach you how to do the what to do to improve your life and relationships. I'm Mark Yamada, clinical psychologist in Seattle. And I'm Nikki Bennett, licensed clinical social worker in Salt Lake City. Hi, I'm Nikki, one of your hosts on Backseat Driver. If you like what you're hearing, please share with a friend. If you don't, please let us know what we can do to change that. Your written reviews are important as it helps people discover our podcast and also gives us information about what's working and what you'd like to see changed. One of the most important things in a therapeutic relationship is the relationship that you have with your helper. So one of the things that I like to do when I meet a new client is to share a little bit about my story, um, particularly the fact that the reason I'm sitting in the therapy chair, therapist chair, I should say, is because I spent so many years in the therapy chair doing my own work, both with Mark and with our guest today. 12 years ago, I was really at the end of my rope with anxiety. I felt like a prisoner in my own life. I was afraid to drive. I wouldn't fly in an airplane. I didn't want to leave my kids. And I was introduced to John McConnell by my husband who was working at Microsoft at the time. And John invited me to take a life-changing journey to the Indian Himalayas where I'd go trekking for 10 days and discover my vision, power, and purpose. And that trip was so pivotal for me because it challenged me on every level from, you know, 14 hour plane ride to 13 hours in a bus and five hours in a Jeep alongside some really precarious cliffs to crossing a rotten footbridge suspended over a raging river. And while that was difficult, I faced each challenge with courage and came out loving myself more because of it. I was then inspired to, to overcome my struggles and turn them into strengths so that I could help other people do the same on their journey. And today I'm really delighted to introduce my talented life coach, John McConnell. Buckle up and enjoy the show. John and Mark, two men that, that really have had probably the biggest impact on my life in terms of learning to live with anxiety in a healthy way and actually both encouraged me to do something in the helping profession. John and Mark, why don't you both take a minute to introduce yourselves to one another since this is the first time you've met, even though you actually worked very closely together when I was navigating my fear around the India trip. So Mark, let's start with you and then we'll have John introduce himself. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you, John. And I'm Mark and I'm in Seattle, and I have known Nikki, and I think you and I have had kind of a very close, tightly knit uh, journey with Nikki, although we have not personally crossed paths ourselves. One of the things that uh, your work with her has been just so phenomenally helpful has been that when Nikki and I were working together, I was able to help Nikki understand the what to do and the part that you played was helping her understand how to do 
those things that she wanted to accomplish by bringing in the specific detail of the experiences and the more specific path to go with the type of things that she could do and ended up doing that she could not learn in any other way to the degree that she had. So I'm really, really grateful that, you know, we have been able to do that, the, the three of us together, really. And I think that brings me to another point that I more and more realize as I get more experience with people is that there's a natural tendency for everybody, for all of us to want to be able to do it ourselves. And I think that, you know, the longer we go, you know, the more, the more you realize that, try not to do everything yourself, spread that out, you know, enlist the help of other people. And it's more of a collaborative effort rather than an entire individual journey. But pleased to meet you. I've been in Seattle area for a number of years now and have just really, really enjoyed, you know, the world of psychology where I spend a lot of my time always learning a lot of things and coming across just very unique and just very interesting people. Likewise, it's great to meet you. And I, you said some of the things I was, was thinking about. We were definitely tag teaming with Nikki. And I remember learning some things. She would bring in things from some of your conversations with her. And I'm like, oh, that's a good one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. I'm going to remember that. So not only were we able to support her together from bringing our different perspectives, but feel like I learned things from you indirectly. So yeah, so uh, my wife, Virginia, and I uh, run a leadership coaching and leadership training practice here on Whidbey Island, which is about half an hour north of Seattle on a short ferry ride. We live on a, a small ranch with about eight acres of forest and several acres of pasture and we have horses and beehives and chickens and all those good things of some country living. And uh, part of why we're up here is both for our own uh, quality of life and things we enjoy doing, but also because our work really is around, you know, I would say actually somatic or experiential learning, it's whole body learning and really learning in action. So you, you spoke to it, Mark, when you spoke to helping Nikki figure out the how to make some of those changes. And so that's very much uh, in, our, in our wheelhouse, as you would say. We work with full range of leaders, small companies, large companies, nonprofits, for-profits, and really just with a focus on helping people understand how to tap into the best gifts they have, how to draw the best out of others, and do that in a way that creates whatever results the organization is about in an ethical and sustainable manner. So that's, that's me and us. Yeah, how did you get into being where you're at? How did that all come about? I'm an experiential learner myself, and um, that's really how I got here. And also, I would say by accident. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. oh. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, relative to, relevant to the conversation we're having today, if I look back, I can see all the clues and pointers that point to where I am today. But I, when I was living it forward, I didn't always know where I was going or why I was going where I went but I can see the themes. One of my favorite stories is that when I was a teenager, my mom handed me the book, Please Understand Me, that classic primer on the Myers-Briggs. Uh -huh. And I thought it was like one of the coolest things I had ever read. But in my mind, I'm gonna be an engineer, I'm gonna do different, you know, different things than that. So I set that book aside and I went to college and I remember taking my first calculus class and just realizing, oh, 
my brain is not built for this. <laughs> this is not, okay. I mean, I could work, work, work at it, but I would never be great at it and nor would it be fun for me. So, you know, looking back, that interest in the psychology is part of how I got here or what makes sense about it now. But I think the other data point I would give is that I started out as an outdoor wilderness educator and I was teaching natural science and I was teaching teamwork and leadership and communication on in nature and often on like month long backpacking or mountaineering expeditions. And at that time, my focus was a lot on teaching about the nature, but I realized over time, I noticed that my, my passion for the nature and sharing that wasn't as high as my colleagues. And what was really fascinating to me was watching tent group dynamics and leadership on the trail and, and that sort of thing. So that's what led me to go get an advanced degree in applied psychology and get on the path that I'm on now. Excellent. So John, as I think back on the work we did in India, there's something that comes up a lot for me in my practice with my clients. And that is the idea of the masks that we wear. And I thought, what a perfect time to discuss this when we're going through COVID, right? And I know in my state now, there's a mandated mask wearing and there's lots of passion on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got me thinking about a question you asked one day while we were trekking in the Himalayas. And that question was, who are you afraid you are? And what are the masks that you wear to cover that up? And I thought that'd be a really interesting topic to dive into. What I liked about that framework is that it just made sense to me, intuitive sense. When I share that idea with people, they pretty quickly start nodding and get it. And, you know, you've shared uh, somehow, you know, how, what you understand your mask to be, Nikki, and I've always admired your capacity to be open and real and honest with people and use that as an example. And, you know, I think we could speak of some other examples, but I wish I had a better, I wish I had a better, like, oh, it came right from here. I think of it as sort of part of uh, hero's journey work, but I've never studied that formally enough to, to root it in that. Yeah, I love it because to me, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. And mm-hmm. I think it's the stuff we don't see that keeps us stuck. And so I remember you asking me that question and puzzling over it all day on the trail and thinking, okay, well, my biggest fear is that I'm going to die. Well, what does that mean about me? And as I really dug deep, Mark, with some of the work you did with me too, I realized my biggest fear is not dying. My biggest fear is that I don't matter, that I'm not enough and I'm simultaneously too much. Mm -hmm. And so the way that shows up for me, I, I remember naming our alter egos on this journey and to my chagrin, the name that came to me was Drama Queen, <laughs> which I really fought because I don't, I don't do drama. I feel like I really get along with virtually everyone I know and you know, I'm, I'm pretty easy to get along with. But the way Drama Queen shows up for me is you know, taking the shape of a China doll, which is, I did that yesterday. We went on a hike and we veered off the trail and got into some really steep territory and I don't like heights. And Boy, I had so many flashbacks of our India journey and some of the moments of drama there (laughs) where I was suddenly, I can't do this, rescue me, we're going to die, we're going to leave our kids orphans. I just go into this this drama, really, around, you know, I'm going to die and and my ultimate fear is that I'm going to be replaced and forgotten. Mm. And then the other mask that I wear is the ice queen. 
and the ice queen doesn't care what anyone thinks about her. She doesn't care if someone hurts her feelings because she doesn't even have feelings. <laughs> like Ben will say to me, if we have a tough conversation, Nikki, you're not really mad right now. You're hurt. And I'll say, oh, don't flatter yourself. I don't even care. <laughs> what I've learned is <laughs> what I've yeah. learned, you know, through my own work, but also work with clients is it seems like whatever you bark the loudest about is your biggest insecurity. And my mom used to say that, you know, people with money don't talk about how rich they are. People that are confident don't talk about how wonderful they are. People that are really spiritual don't have to tell you all the things they're doing to be spiritual because they're confident in that. And I thought, boy, it's really true that when I get triggered into that mode of I'm not enough, but I'm also way too much, I put that mask on. And it in the moment, I believe it. I totally believe that I do not care. And then when the mask melts away, I suddenly realize, oh crap, I care more than I've ever cared about anything in my life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, as I'm listening to you know, our dialogue today, you know, this whole concept of masks causes, it resonates for me to think about you know, this idea of what is it that I don't want you to know mm -hmm. about me? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I'll put on the mask, but it's a curious thing because it's a one-way thing. I've got my mask on and I think I'm hidden. I'm invisible. You can't see me, you know, something like that. But the fact that I've got the mask on, it makes me even more uh, obvious that I've got something that I'm hiding because I'm wearing it. You could actually see it on my figurative face. So Mark, I'm curious, what, what masks do you wear? I think one of the masks that I wear is one of, uh, I got it together. Mm -hmm. I got it together. I know what to do. And I can always figure it out. And I think I tell myself that because, you know, there's so many unknowns out there. And I, you know, run into situations where, you know, I start to feel insecure or I, or feel inadequate about, or it's something that, you know, I've never done before. But I have this, you know, perfectionistic tendency where I expect to be able to do it. And somehow it's a type of fantastic thinking where I expect to do it, but be able to do it well and be able to do it well really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it, it tends to cause me to feel embarrassed or insecure. So I tend to hide that. And almost like if I was going to demonstrate or do try something, I always kind of have to feel like, you know, I need to be able to do it well before I can even get out there and do it. Mm -hmm. And so I think what I do is I often am somewhat quiet and I sit back a little bit in the background and I kind of scan the field and see what everybody else is doing. And then I kind of analyze where I fit into that. And that's generally one of the masks I wear, but I'm trying to take that off. And maybe that's something that we can get into as we talk about today is, you know, how do you identify what your masks are or what those personas are that we take on that have a measure of helpfulness in protecting ourselves? But then on the backside, there's this bad side effect that it actually keeps you stuck to play the role that the mask shows. 
Yeah, I appreciate so much the personal sharing of that and making it relevant. Since we have shared, I'd love to know, like, what mask do you find yourself wearing? For me, it's, again, I recognize whatever I'm the most passionate about telling people is maybe what I'm the most fearful about. Um, so I'm curious, like, what, what shows up for you or what's coming up for you? Yeah, well, I, I have to laugh because of how, how I learned about one of my masks that I wear. Um, I had a, well, I'm not sure how it came up, but I got exposed to the work of, I believe her name is Elaine Aaron, and uh, high, her work around being highly sensitive. Yeah. And for all I know, Nikki, you might have brought it to me, a lot of things I learned about from my clients bringing them to me. But I, this idea of highly, being highly sensitive came up, and I thought, oh, that's really neat. I, I bet a lot of my clients can probably benefit from that. So I got the book, and I flipped over the back, and it you know, had like 10 questions. You, you may be highly sensitive if. Now, here, I'm holding myself as this tough, um, you know, outdoor instructor where you're you know, you carry an 80-pound mountaineering pack off trail and you climb mountains and you, you know, hike all day and, you know, you just do it all with a smile and a, and a, and a wink. So that had this image of myself as tough and, and kind of in that realm of what you were saying, Mark, he's really capable. So anyway, I flip over this book and I start reading, like, you know, a question. I'm like, yes, 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 no, yes, yes, yes. And I, you know, I, and I remember my jaw dropping and going, I'm highly sensitive, what? <laughs> and then, you know, all it was like in that moment, this floodgate opened, and I, I could think of all the moments where I was like, if I think of this, if I go into the airport, and you know, I'm one of those people who puts my my hat down low and my earbuds in because it's just there's so much emotional intensity in the airport, so much humanity, and so many people that are stressed and in a rush and they got their kids, and I I realized, oh, I'm actually pretty highly sensitive, so. That, you know, that was an example of how a mask came to me and how helpful it was. So how does the change happen it is first in just seeing it and seeing it in action. And then I think uh, doing two things. One is seeing the gifts in that. Uh, you know, I quickly understood that that sensitivity is really key to being effective in the work I do. If I was really as tough as I think I am or pretend to be, I wouldn't be very good at working with people through their struggles and their fears and their challenges. So it's to really witness the gift in that, but then to also see where that holds me back and what kind of embodied capacities I'd have to learn to embrace that sensitivity and to be more uh, responsible to myself around that, that more sensitive nature and that ability to really feel the world around me. How has that helped you to connect more with the people that you work with, you know, as you're describing this, I think we, you know, can kind of laugh at ourselves going, okay, I'm this really tough mountaineering person. Yeah. And then you realize the sensitivity, but sometimes I'm really afraid of heights. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and the clients or people that we come across, they often have a different version of the, some of the same human nature stuff that affects our own selves yeah. When you come across that, how do you put that together? And how does that help you to relate to a client who comes to you and says, hey, I need your help to help me overcome some of these hurdles? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, I think uh, that sensitivity helps give me curiosity and compassion for my clients, as well as it creates a safe space. I think 
you know, if I think of the, the somatic level, so we use that word somatics means the, the living body and its wholeness. And it's kind of around what you, what you addressed earlier, Mark, or you mentioned earlier about not only what changes do we want to make, but how would we actually make those changes or how would we move differently in the world? And that sense of creating safety, people can't change if they don't feel deeply seen, deeply heard, and that you're that you know I as the coach or you as the therapist are going to be a safe non-judgmental presence. Like to me, that's the place where the the mask can start to be let down and can start to um, open up to new possibilities and open up to uh, different ways of moving and being in the world. They're going to work better for the stage of life that we're in. Here's the thing too for me is that the longer I do this work, and of course I'm much more of a newbie than the two of you, um, but the longer I do this work, the braver I am in sharing my story. And I, I've always had, this is interesting actually, I'm thinking it out loud right here, but one of the things I bark really loud about is that I'm really authentic and I'm vulnerable and I'm not afraid to share my story. I recently had an epiphany and it's this, that I'm not afraid to share my weaknesses, my insecurities, the ways that I screw up, the crap I've been through in my life, because the longer I do this work, the more I realize we all have our stuff. I don't care who you are. I like everyone has issues and problems and healthy people admit it, right? And so when I sit in my office and I say to someone, hey, I'm sitting in this chair because I spent so many years sitting in that chair, I'm just like you, right? I'm no better than you. I'm learning and growing just like you, and I have some tools that might help you. You can see the relief in their face. I had this epiphany recently where there was something I was holding on to that someone had said to me like over a year ago, and I'm not the type of person that stays angry. I don't hold a grudge. I'm really quick to forgive. I, I'm really pretty easy again, but there was something I was holding on to that really hurt. It was that somebody had said to me, you know, way back, I've got to figure out what I do when my kids go back to school the only thing I know is I would never want to be a therapist. And, <laughs> and I remember what I was wearing and where I was sitting and how I felt in that moment. And it wasn't anger. It was hurt. I felt small. I felt myself shrink for some reason. And I really tried to get curious about it. I was like, I'm sure that wasn't the intent. It's not about me, but I kept holding on to it and holding on to it and holding on to it. And, you know, eight months later, that person asked me to breakfast on my birthday and we spent two hours talking about how she could become a therapist. And I was kind of taken aback, like, oh, okay, this confirmed my, my hypothesis that what she had said was not about me, it was about her, right? And then fast forward again, a year, I think it was, and, and this person asked me to help them apply to graduate school and write them a letter. And I did it because I wanted that for them. But this hurt just kept coming up. And it really bothered me because like you said, John, you're supposed to be tough. Well, I'm supposed to be emotionally resilient, right? This shouldn't bug me. And so I finally got to the, the point where I realized what I was doing and holding that in was not compassionate to this person because I love and care about this person. And I don't want this to keep coming up. And I realized in that moment that maybe I'm not as vulnerable and authentic as I think I am, because when it comes to having my feelings hurt, it's really hard for me to speak my truth. In my family, we didn't have conversations, we had confrontations. And so when it comes to speaking my truth about being hurt, that's a tough one. You know, I remember some years ago that I was working with 
some parents and they had a, they had a son that was, I think, about middle school age. And it was at a time where I was still, you know, looking back, realizing I had the mask of perfection on all the time in my work early on. And the parents, the mother especially, she was really a well-grounded and real, just wise genuine caring person, you know, kind of like the, the, the grandmother that everybody wants. And, you know, I was working so hard to try to help them and their son and just kind of pull things together in a way that would just, what they, they were hoping would happen. And I think she was very perceptive and could tell that I was working so hard and I was actually starting to get, you know, distressed myself with the lack of what seemed like progress. And in one session, I just remember she looked at me and she just kind of took a deep breath and she told me, you know, Dr. Yamada, it's okay to allow yourself to think that you're not a miracle worker here. And I think she had come to this conclusion that we weren't gonna be able to get, you know, her son to become or do some of the things that she the dad, and even I was hoping we could accomplish. You know, and when she really said that, it first really hit me hard. And it hit me so hard that it actually, like you were saying, Nikki, it really stunned and hurt my feelings. And when I look back on it, it was two parts. One was the realization that as therapists or you know, coaches and leaders to help develop people, we aren't perfect and we aren't miracle workers and you can't always deliver the type of result or experience that you're hoping would be good. And so that was the first hit that really hurt. And the second one was the fact that she actually detected it in me and pointed it out. That was the other one that was really hard. But it was such a powerful learning experience that pointed out to me this mask of the perfect psychotherapist I had to be. And then years later after that, you know, I had another client tell me the reason why you know, he felt that he really was gaining something from the therapeutic experience was because he came to know me as somebody that wasn't so perfect or so excelled above him that he felt he could connect and relate to some of my own goofiness or my messiness or the authenticity that you described, Nikki, that I was allowed to bring out but could not if I didn't take the mask off. Yeah. John, you've always been really, really good at this, I feel like. Um, at, at helping your clients to see their own masks for one. I remember you calling me out in India and saying, Nikki, you're the most courageous woman I've ever met. And I'm thinking, yeah, and you climbed Mount Everest and I'm courageous and I'm <laughs> doing this drama. But I think you saw in me that when you fear everything and you do it anyways, you know, fear doesn't exist. Our courage doesn't exist without fear. How do you see those masks in others? And how would you tell our listeners to see their own masks and what's the benefit of taking those masks off? Why would somebody want to give up their facade? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, Mark, you said earlier uh, something about this, which is um, others can see our masks pretty clearly, often more clearly than we can. So really, it's, it's often a matter of opening ourselves up and asking for that input or paying attention to how we're actually impacting others. Mm. Um, I remember a really powerful moment. We were leading a group uh, retreat, and there was a gentleman in the group who was extremely intelligent, strong, capable, confident, and really truly a very physically and you know professionally in his work very capable but he had very little tolerance for others and would steamroll people and would make them feel bad all the time and basically someone was giving him feedback and he 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 heard that he was upsetting other people and he stopped he said wait 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 what you guys are upset by the way i'm talking to you i mean it was shocking everyone in the room's like you must know this it's so obvious right? <laughs> yeah how, just, how can you not exactly <laughs> And what was so striking is all he needed to do was to see it. He said, well, that's unacceptable. That's not who I am. I'm not a mean person. I don't hurt people. And he said, you guys are telling me I'm hurting you? And, and then like, all his colleagues' heads are nodding up and down. <laughs> and so it really started with um, somebody else helping him see that. And then, of course, in a context where he could you know, receive that and be open to it. So I think naming it is really uh, a, an important first step and letting others help help us see. Um, now, when you say naming it, do you mean just calling it out or do you mean like literally naming it like we did in India? Like we had the general and the perfect boy and the drama queen. So maybe you could clarify more for our listeners. What do you, exactly do you mean by naming it? Well, I mean, first and foremost, that people can see it as a, and, gotcha. and see it as a phenomenon. Like, oh, this is, this is the persona or the mask or the show that I'm putting on for the world. Mm -hmm. And then to introduce that idea that almost always underneath that there is some fear or sensitivity. It's kind of your 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 barking uh, concept there. Um, then you know actually if naming it is helpful, if you can find a name, the general or the ice queen or something, that may be helpful. I don't know that it's necessary. It's more a question of what works. Um, I think the other thing that's really key here is because so much of our ability to keep ourselves safe in the world at least in our own minds and on our own hearts, um, is related to that mask. We want to help people. We really want to invite them into a safe space to replace that mask with a different persona that's more authentic and more real and not have them feel like we're going to rip it off their face mm. um, or we're going to belittle them or make fun of them. And I would even actually offer a, a somatic uh, little experiment here. So if you take one hand and clench it as a fist, so you've got one hand, you're like, hold it tight, hold it tight, and then take the fingers of your other hand and uh, put them down and grab, you know, so your fingertip to fingertip and try to pry the hand open. Hmm. Notice what the hand that's holding does. You know, it kind of fights back. Tighter. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's basically like, no, you can't make me. So then shake that out, make a fist again, and now bring your other hand underneath and hold, like hold, gently hold that clenched fist and hold it with the intention of, like you'd hold a, you know, a newborn child. There's just no judgment. There's no expectations. Hmm. Just love and acceptance and seeing, like, I see that. Okay, that's how you make yourself safe in the world. Yeah, it's hard to continue to keep the fist yeah. clenched. It, it yeah. automatically wants to just kind of relax and open. And 
you know, what are, what are, what are your, you know, what are your experiences and how, how do you help somebody who comes to you or you realize they see that there is this mask that the other person is wearing and mm. they want to give that feedback. They want to say something, but then they're afraid. What are some of the things that go through the mind of somebody who says, you know, I really want to tell so-and-so something, but I'm so afraid to do it. What are the common things that you come across that hold people back from bringing that other hand underneath that mm. clenched person to help them gently be able to realize this because they want to make the relationship better. They want to be helpful, but they're so afraid to take that first step to say, um, hey, uh, just wanted to tell you, you know, yeah. how, and, and then they fumble around and maybe even their first few times, they might even just spook and pull away. To, oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the better way, I mean, what this, the conditions we are generally trying to set up is the conditions where the person is asking for that first, uh, rather than having someone unsolicited, you know, the, there was a lot that led up to the, the setting the context for that feedback and that gentleman actually asking for that feedback. Hey, I want to know how I impact you guys. And then people said, Oh, you want to know? Okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll tell you. Um, <laughs> Buckle up. And then sometimes I do want to answer that, you know, if, if I am going to give someone that feedback and I mean, just generally as a human being, I really want to think about um, the context, you know, that's right timing, right mood, right. You know, like not in the middle of a conflict or a disagreement or something. Right. So the, what's the context that that could be well received. And then I think about the intention that I have, I would check myself if I want to give someone that feedback to say, is my intention, to get back or get even or attack this person. Um, I really want to check that my intention is that it's a, uh, a communication of love and of service. Like I really want to help you see something I don't, I think you don't see. And then the third thing is uh, I would ask permission. Like, Hey, I think you're, you know, you might be impacting me or others in ways you don't understand. Can I, can I give you some feedback about that? Or can I share my, my experience? John, that's been probably the, one of the greatest tools you've given me was, was that, you know, suggestion to always, and I use this always in couples counseling or family counseling, always ask permission to give feedback. And I don't think I've ever, I've definitely had people say no, you know, my husband's asked me, can I give you some feedback? And I yeah. said, no, not right now. You can't. Exactly. <laughs> but I've never had someone receive it poorly when I've asked permission and they've given it to me. That's, that's right. And when people say that, even if they're reluctant, they're reluctantly saying, well, okay. And I think I don't know if I really want this. The act of being asked and saying it will drop some amount of their armoring, their protection yeah. to let it in and to be more, because you, you want that feedback to feel like that that loving hand holding the fist that's clenched. Mm -hmm. I, and I think the other thing that I was just thinking about as we're getting into this conversation is, um, you know, I said earlier, to, it's important to honor the wisdom of whatever those masks are. Because if you, you know, if you guys didn't come up with the mask you came up with early in life, and I didn't come up with the mask that I came up with early in life, our lives would have been harder. There were legitimate things happening in our families and our lives that we needed to learn to protect ourselves against. And if we didn't 
have the, that protection or that persona to play that got us safety and belonging, we would have been much worse off. So I always want to be in the spirit of honoring what that mask is. But then, uh, um, well, and part of that honoring is to, is to see what the gifts of that mask are, mm -hmm. that persona, but then to really help people see the costs. Because part of the problems with the persona is that the longer we live it, the costs add up. The cost to me, the cost to the people I interact with. And that becomes more, um, you know, it takes more and more of a physical toll or an emotional toll or a relationship toll. And so I think that's having people see and feel the cost is a big part of having them go like, yeah, I think I'd like to learn to do something different here. You know, those masks or those ways that we developed from childhood, you know, they have been like a faithful puppy. They have served you well. They got you to this point. And I think that's what makes it so hard to let go of them is that the benefit, whatever that might be, a lot of times for people, it's some type of protection or being able to navigate through just difficult life circumstances or relationships. It's a hard sell to let that faithful dog go thinking that it's time to retire it because it served me so well and to shift into something else. You know, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of a situation where there was a, a person that, I, that came to me and uh, this person came to me because uh, he realized that, you know, he would be facing taking care of aging parents. And it was that, that parents were starting to age and decline, and he was going to have to be taking care of them and distribute that around among the various siblings. But his focus was he realized, you know, I don't want to become like my parents are. And, you know, he explained some of the quirkiness is about how his parents were and their attitudes or their, you know, firm beliefs or, or, or their biases. And he just didn't really like that. He didn't want to, you know, quote, quote, become like them. And so when he came to, to me and we talked about this, you know, uh, I was listening for the kind of things that he really didn't like about how his parents behaved or their attitudes. And a lot of times what you find is the things that we don't like or the things that trouble us, we're very hypersensitive to it because we're very familiar with it. And we may be very familiar with those things because I have some of that inside myself. Yeah, it's that... Chinese proverb, I don't see you as you are, I see you as I am. I hate that. This is true. <laughs> yeah, darn it. And it's those kind of things, think, where uh, if we can listen for uh, where somebody is running into a struggle, that is sometimes a way to be able to bring that second hand under that clenched personality and then start to create this experience of warming that will gradually relax them to be receptive to this. That's kind of what I often find is helpful, is that it's not always what I say, 
but it's often more about the experience that the other person ends up having that actually helps open up this tightness about fear of letting go or even you know even letting go of the idea about oh no no i'm never going to change my mind about this you know and you can't make me yeah yeah so mark you're having me think then so if if we're uncovering like naming it and seeing the gift honoring the gifts but seeing the cost and then it's like well what would take us you know what would really motivate us to go beyond that um and I, it's funny, I'm thinking of a time many years ago, I was working with a, I'd seen a rolfer who, you know, it's a deep form of body work that helps you realign your body, which I think is related to the process that we're talking about here. And she referred me to her colleague and I didn't really quite understand why I was seeing her, but this woman was very wise and very, uh, really was ahead of her time with the work she was doing. And she said to me once, she said, I don't think you're in enough pain or discomfort to get what you want. And at the time, it did not make any sense to me whatsoever. I was like, what do you mean? I'm supposed to be in pain, I'm supposed to be suffering? I'm not here because I wanna be suffering. But what she was really <laughs> saying is, the things I was talking about that I was longing for in my life and in my heart and in my like, things that hadn't come to fruition in my life, she was saying, I don't think you're uncomfortable enough yet to let go of the safe harbor of how you're being now, which was more of this a little more tough and I don't need people and, you know, that kind of thing, you know, I was looking for deeper connection, deeper relationship. And uh, I do think about it now, it's like, what is that? What is the discomfort? So that's pumping up the volume on the costs, but then really listening to, the thing that's gonna take us across that scary bridge, Nikki, is listening to who we really are and who we really wanna be. So those were some of the questions we were asking you in, in India, like, well, who are you really and what's, What's really important to you? And what are your deepest longings? And what do you, what do you, what's the life you're trying to create for yourself? And really fanning the flames of those embers. And then you can literally start to con construct a new persona around that identity. I think we always have to have some mask or some identity. I think, I don't know, Mark, you might have a different point of view. No, no, I think so. And I think that it's actually quite normal that there all be some level of mask because the the world in which we live in well here look look where we're at today that you know we're talking about masks and things but there's a very very real element that you know when we're trying to protect ourselves from environmental things you know we are wearing masks and we're encouraged to do that to take care of ourselves and to filter out things or to protect others and when we're talking about psychological or emotional masks, you know, sometimes it comes as a set for me or for others where you have a mask, but then you also have a set of goggles to go with it. Uh -huh. and, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and as you're wearing these goggles and the mask, you know, you know, you're, you're going down the path, you're going down the road, you know, and, you know, you're looking straight down the road to where you're going or to watch out for things. But then you don't actually see the other stuff that, you know, is on the scenic route. You know, you don't always see what's on the left or you don't always see what's on the right side. And I think what you're talking about, John, is, you know, whether we're therapists or leaders or coaches or just loving friends, some of the things I think we can do are 
ask the type of questions that would cause somebody to think beyond what they've been focused on. You know, if you got your mask and your goggles on, you know, there's generally one direction that your sight is focused on and it's right in front of you so that you can avoid the obstacles and try to get where you're going. But if we can open it up and encourage others to think, think about the type of questions or actions that would cause somebody to shift their focus. John, I loved what you said. We all do wear masks and they're constantly changing. And I think of the book of joy, the Dalai Lama says his greatest fear was public speaking. And that blew my mind. (laughs) It's like, you? And he said, it's because I thought of myself as a Buddhist. And that isolates me from a large portion of the population of the world. And then I thought of myself as a monk and suddenly my world is smaller. And then I thought of myself as the Dalai Lama and there's only one. And once I realize I'm one of 7 billion people, there's no need for an introduction. And I, so I think for me, that was another eye opener, right? I had taken off the drama queen masks or tried to at least recognize them, the ice queen, the China doll, and suddenly realized, oh, wow, now I'm wearing the mask of a therapist. And that's why it's harder for me to write because it feels more vulnerable. This is a great conversation. It has me really thinking about these concepts and how they live and how they work. Um, so I really appreciate both of your perspective. And I'm just thinking how important it is that whatever the new thing we're creating still honors and taps into the gifts. So if I think of the the drama queen, Mm -hmm. the part about that that is a real gift, Nikki, of such a uh, bold and strong spirit and strong point of view. And I think my assessment would be you've learned to bring the authentic expressions and that, that vulnerability forward which takes a certain kind of courage and a certain kind of chutzpah. And so there's a, there's an evolution of the mask rather than a tossing it off and Mm. creating something new. I like that. And so Nikki, whether you started as the drama queen, this evolution that John's talking about is that you are and will always be a queen and that the, (laughs) You know, that, that part of this is the evolution of what kind of queen am I going to further evolve into? It feels I like a little that. less intimidating that way, doesn't it? Yeah, I hope my kids are listening, awesome. though. I am the queen. <laughs> 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 so um, just in wrapping up, John, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your advice for people who are listening who, who say, gosh, I really don't feel like, you know, I have a client right now, awesome person wearing the tough guy mask and doesn't even see how his mask is, is getting him the opposite of what he wants, which is connection in his marriage because he's afraid. But what would you say to our listeners in terms of like, we're all wearing a mask. How do you figure out what that mask is, how it's helping you and how it's hurting you? And where do I go from here? What is the cost and, and what is the longing or the deep desire? Yeah. So what if you don't see your mask though? What if someone's listening and says, well, I, I don't have any masks. What would you tell them to do? That would tell me that they're not ready to go there. Gotcha. So I would back away and ask what kind of conversations or what activities do we need to do together to build more trust and more safety and more relevance. Like people, you know, the story I told earlier, the thing that was so quickly changed for this guy was understanding how he was impacting others. And that really was the, 
deeply incongruous with who he held himself to be and who he wanted to be in the world. He's deeply committed to service and impacting people positively. And so it really just was a blind spot. The path through here is, is to really look at what makes us uncomfortable. So yeah, so if you're listening and you want to do the work and you yeah. don't know where to start, then it's time to find find a helper. And you guys have been That's right. quite the dream team in my life and I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, if you're stuck and you don't and you don't know, ask your closest friends and loved ones and say I'd really like to know how I impact you at my worst. Yeah, that's a great question. Really listen, don't defend, don't explain, really listen. Yeah. And then there's a good opportunity to practice that self-compassion exercise we talked about last time. That's right. Right. And remember, it's not an exercise in self-flagellation. It's really, um, you know, you have to, there has to be a commitment to moving towards more of who you want to be in the world and learning to be that. And none of us, and we've all said this and we all know it's true. And and as, as you said, it becomes more and more true the older we get is really just seeing how imperfect and messy and, uh, you know, everything we are up to is aspirational and we can never get there. We can just always move closer and closer to something that feels more who we want to be, more the kind of relationships we want to have, more the kind of impact in the world we want to have. I love it. Thanks, John, so much for being a part of our show today. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have had you with us. Yes, and likewise, appreciate being invited into your podcast here, and great to get to know you a little bit, Mark, and Nikki, always always great to collaborate and reconnect with you. And how would people get a hold of you, John, if they're interested in doing more of the work that you provide? Uh, the easiest way to find us would be on the web is Jempe uh, Center, J-E-M-P-E Center.com, and you can find us there and contact information there and all that. Excellent find links to our branch and our life here, which is like a whole, whole nother, whole nother slice. Absolutely. Well, thank you, John, for being here. And also just for, again, the influence and the impact you've had in my life. And that's it for another Backseat Driver. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with a friend. We'd really appreciate it if you'd take a minute to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 